Welcome to the Unlocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of Bramble and Rex. Welcome back to episode number 105 of Unlocking Crypto. How great to see you again. Hopefully my microphone will be working better today. Yeah, man. Good to see and hear you, Jason. Well, let's talk a little bit about coin to start with. Genesis just filed some paperwork with the court to be able to sell another $1.4 billion of GBTC. So we just had FTX sell a bunch. Now Genesis has a bunch that's planning on being sold. In reality, they still have a bunch of other grayscale trusts too. I think they have like $165 million in the Ethereum trust and $38 million in the Ethereum Classic Trust. Why they put money in that, I'm still not really <laughs> sure, but apparently they must have thought it it could survive. But I, I think the big thing is $1.4 billion is still a lot of sell pressure. The BlackRock and Fidelity, while they're getting a lot, man, it's it still sucks to see this. And we talked about it a little bit last week that expect to see another lot of sell pressure over the next few months as a lot of these companies that were under bankruptcy are, are able to sell some of their assets to pay off their creditors. But it, it just sucks. It seems like it never ends. Yeah, I was I was looking at that and thinking, okay, I'm real optimistic about the ETFs and, and what that this looks like. We've had seven straight trading days where they've had net inflows and 38,000 net Bitcoin has been pulled off of exchanges or over the counter and into the ETFs, including GBTC. So the other nine ETFs have eat all of the Bitcoin sell pressure from GBTC and the FTX bank <laughs> bankruptcy for sale. And now they're going to have to start to eat the sell pressure from Genesis. And so, you know, at a certain point, you're like, how, how can, how much can we sustain of this? Uh, so if, as long as they spread it out, it shouldn't be the disaster. And if, if we just keep moving forward, you know, there's usually a little bit of a ramp up as we approach the having, and then a bit of a retracement after the having. So if we kind of sell into that ramp up, maybe we can eat it up and just kind of stay in this little zone. We're kind of crab walking, you know, in the high thirties to mid to high forties. And so it, as long as we aren't going to get below, what was that previous low, like 38.5 or something, as long as we don't start establishing lower lows, it doesn't start to trigger the traders to to sell. So we could just absorb this and move along. I know that FTX, they had a mandate when they were selling to not impact the market price of the underlying asset. And so I would assume that Genesis would have the same kind of thing. So we'll see. Like th that sucks more than just about any of the other news because it's like everybody knows there's sell pressure coming. So it could be a trade people jump into. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. It's 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 definitely not awesome, but if we can just get through it and if people are starting to allocate to it and if financial advisors start putting people in and some of these investment houses that haven't allowed the ETF, the, the purchase of Bitcoin ETFs by their clients, if they start to allow it, maybe you start to bring new money in to absorb this bankruptcy stuff. And, you know, if it's it, I don't know how long it takes to turn that around from... The time Genesis sells 
to and liquidates to the time that that money gets in the hands of the client that then comes back and buys Bitcoin with it. You know, I'd be curious to see what kind of time that with that turnaround is. But yeah, not great. Yeah, I would say that's probably not a quick turnaround. No, it's definitely seen. weeks. Yeah, definitely weeks, if not longer, for sure. So some some somewhat good news from the Bitcoin front. One of the major faces in Bitcoin lately has been El Salvador's president, and he was recently reelected for another five-year term. I think he got about 85% of the votes, so a lot of still excitement from, I think, countries that are interested in trying to follow in El Salvador's footsteps and kind of do what they did. And he still has a lot with this these volcano bonds, volcano Bitcoin bonds, that we're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen there, too. So. Interesting. Yeah, I, I read an article in like mainstream news that just used the word dictator a lot. It, it talked about how, you know, he's kind of circumventing civil rights in order for safety. Things that we've done in the United States without batting an eye and, and without thinking our democracy's falling apart. But they're like, he's an autocrat. And I think in his Bitcoin profile, it says like, the friendliest dictator on earth or something to that effect. Like he, he gets it. So, you know, it's one of those things, man, every once in a while you have like a generational guy that can turn things around. And if you don't let him do it, then it kind of sucks. So, you know, if it's not as though he crowned himself King or dictator, he was elected. And if you, it seems to me that you'd have a worse problem with democracy if 85% of the people voted for someone and he was not the president. Yeah. And I think I read some stuff saying how Bitcoin was a failure in El Salvador because they weren't using it as much as they anticipated. Yet it still was saving hundreds of millions of dollars on fees from remittances. And overall, everybody, the, 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 living i guess down there with all the criminals kind of locked up and it's just gotten much safer so uh, i guess it depends on how you look at it well i mean some people aren't used to being early and being right some people think oh they're gonna use bitcoin so the next day everybody's using bitcoin and that's just not how this stuff works like when we talk about stuff it's like we're planting a flag and then around that flag gathers people over months and years so they're, if they're saving, the thing is, it's like everything. Once one person in a group of people finds a way to save 10, 15% on remittances coming in from their family outside of the country, okay, well, the next month, maybe one or two people use it. And then the next month, maybe one or two more people use it. And then in each of those circles, it keeps growing until, you, you, I mean, it's just S-curve adoption pattern stuff. It's the same as Bitcoin. It's the same as internet usage. So, yeah, man, it starts out slow, ramps way up, goes vertical, and then eventually hits whatever its whatever its limit is as far as the percentage of people in the country they're going to use it. So we're, we haven't been doing it that long. It works. I don't see why it does. Something that if it works well and is cheap typically locks in. So, you know, that's a good transition into Solana if you want to talk about that. Oh, we're going to talk about that later, I think. <laughs> okay. But I did... To stay on the, the the theme of countries and what's going on, India has some elections coming up here shortly too, and they have announced that they have no plans to change some of their tax rules. And what's crazy for them is they have about a 30% tax on profit and a 1% tax on every transaction. 
which has kind of been kind of a lot and it's been driving a lot of creators and and, and traders i guess too out of india which they have determined is probably cost india over 400 million dollars in rep lost revenues and since like probably late 2022 so it's interesting that kind of companies are, or countries are doing this when you have countries like Argentina that are doing the exact opposite that have pretty much said you're not paying any taxes on crypto unless it's large profits, but use it every day. Don't worry about taxes. We want to improve the economy. This is going to help with the velocity of money and getting everything up to speed. And it'll be interesting to see how those two countries and the economies kind of look here in the next couple of years as they both take different paths. Yeah, it's just, that's just not a winning approach. Everybody's too mobile. You know, you don't have an infrastructure for these crypto and Bitcoin-based companies that they can move wherever they want. And 1% per transaction, 30% on the profit versus zero zeros. The cost to move is nothing. And unless you're just in love with the country or you have a family situation that is is that valuable. I mean, you're going to lose anybody that's young and talented is gone. And I mean, that's what that's what went wrong with Argentina and Venezuela is their young talent fled to, to better countries. So you, you got to get those people back. And this taxing them 30 percent plus one percent per transaction is a good way to scare people away. And it, it's it's just to put it on the list of things where Bitcoin kind of straightens things out. Right. Bitcoin comes through and. You can't, you can't take advantage of people. They, if they're, if they've got Bitcoin, they can just take it with them. And if they're going from India to, to the U.S. or India to any other country, they, as long as it's in Bitcoin, they can transfer it into the local currency when they get there. Yeah. So another interesting news from the country front is South Korea, and they have been proposing that the country should be the one that vets any crypto exec that is going to get hired into some sort of crypto company within South Korea. And they think that will eliminate any bad actors at that point. So it is kind of interesting that a government thinks that they're going to be the ones that can actually vet this and change whatever's happening and that, that the problem is. is just it sounds like somebody was bribed in, to pass that piece of legislation. <laughs> if it doesn't make sense, I'm like... Yeah, it's... It's kind of amazing that this stuff even gets talked about, but it's, it's, I can't make it up. So I think they're actually even looking at the SEC to get guidance from them on how to do the whole ETF process because the SEC did such a great job and took 10 years to look at this and finally say yes, yep. that South Korea wants to follow in their footsteps. Yeah. Go, uh, step one, shut your Twitter down 24 hours before you announce it. Step two, <laughs> release all 10 people who applied so that they have to fight to zero on fees. Now it's, and then there's going to be a huge marketing battle that really just kicked off. So now it's the sec has not done a great job. Yeah. So I know we've talked a lot about Bitcoin mining in the past too, and there's been an interesting announcement coming out of the department of energy. They have requested an emergency collection of data on mining and it's only for us based miners. And it's over the next six months. There's kind of a a worry that, or, or a hope that they're going to protect the public against harm, and that Bitcoin mining could be 
for actually helping with this public harm. And it's one of the things that's a little kind of a little scary is the Biden administration has really prioritized reducing the carbon, the country's carbon footprint. So they think going after Bitcoin mining is one of the ways to do that. And then you have people like Elizabeth Warren that has asked the Fed for them to, for all these crypto mining companies to provide details on their energy usage. But what's interesting at the same time is you have companies like MIT and KPMG who are very well known that have pretty much come out and said, hey, I know someone did a study, I forget who it was, United or whatever, they did a study a while ago and said Bitcoin mining could be a problem, but actually Bitcoin mining could be the solution and could actually help balance the grid and provide a lot of these green technologies the ability to grow. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next six months. And I mean, especially this is kind of going into the election. So I'm wondering if anything is actually really going to be used for this election or if it's something that uh, the Biden administration hopes they can use, assuming they get reelected. Yeah, I read through that and I kind of pulled out a few things. One, the report itself on the first page, it, it talked about that Bitcoin uses wasted and stranded energy. It didn't really connect the fact that if if you unplug and destroy the miners that are using wasted and stranded energy, that you get zero megawatts into the grid, right? That that's energy that it it's not hurting or helping anything. And if it's if it's flared methane that they're turning into a gas turbine to make electricity to run miners, that it's that's going to be worse for the environment. And so, to me, that's going to that's going to be something that the miners focus on when they report is like, hey, yep, we used X number of megawatts. And if we didn't use them, then there would be zero megawatts available for the families and houses that you talk about. So they don't, the, the, the document itself talked about demand response programs, like when there's a cold snap or a hot snap and the miners shut down and, and the grid can provide more power cheaper to households. And it talked about wind, solar, and nuclear and the advantages there. So it's it, it was actually not like strictly hand-slapping, you guys are using electricity for the wrong reasons. But it did talk about proof of stake. Ethereum uses 0.005% of the power of Bitcoin and implied that there's no difference in the two, which is, you know, just, just kind of a, a lazy way to do it. And then they always talk about energy consumption and compared it to Australia and Utah and all of these things. But again, if you shut it down, you don't get any power back. It's, it's not, it's not how that works. And so this just feels like an Elizabeth Warren, you know, okay, the SEC path didn't work. So let's, let's push on the, the energy information administration to try that. Uh, and then I also had the thought that like, you know, Bitcoin mining is like Texas centric. This could just be another piece to the political nonsense about the border in Texas and trying to just throw a jab at, at Texas's, you know, kind of budding electric uh, balancing my Bitcoin mining relationship that helps the ERCOT grid, which is, you know, Texas is basically on an island when it comes to grids. All the other states can kind of share across state lines, but Texas doesn't. And so if you start to impact the Texas grid's stability, you're not impacting Oklahoma and Louisiana and, and other states. So, you know, part of me thinks uh, dumb politicians are playing dumb politician games. And part of me 
thinking dumb politicians are playing anti-innovation games. Either way, I, I'm so bullish on Bitcoin on in power that enough people understand it now and enough people can understand it now. And, and it's actually happening. It's not theoretical anymore that I, I think that this is just another one of those things where Elizabeth Warren tries something and surprise when the rubber meets the road, you know, you can't just talk around elect moving. They either move or they don't. And they either cost a lot or they cost a little. And if Bitcoin helps them move and helps them cost a little, then you're not going to win this battle. So I, as much as as much as I, I I'm acknowledge that this there's some risk here for bearishness, I just I'm so convinced that it's that the the cooler heads will prevail that it's not a factor for me. Yeah, I guess time will tell. I think the other thing that's interesting that's kind of going on is the SEC plans to dismiss dismiss a lawsuit that they filed against Debtbox. And apparently, according to the courts, there's a possibility that they're going to face some sanctions for misleading the courts. So surprise, surprise, <laughs> this has kind of become the norm with any time the SEC goes after somebody, they say one thing and it's not usually the truth. And then it has to go to the courts and the courts say, why are you even saying that? So it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens and, and what sort of fine the SEC or, or what kind of things actually happen to the SEC for this happening. But it's at least continuing to see that the SEC going after the crypto space is struggling to gain a lot of progress doing that too. Yeah, I get the feeling that the court system is like the bedrock of politics. Like the president, the executive branch can just, they can pass executive orders and they can say whatever nonsense they want to say. Same with Congress. They can force all these investigations. They can pass laws and do all this stuff. But then when you actually go to court and you got to actually present this stuff in front of a judge or a panel of judges, it either works or it doesn't. It's either good or it's bad. And so they can kind of make all these mistakes above the line. But as soon as they go, as soon as the rubber meets the road, okay, the, you can't lie anymore. And what, what do the facts actually say? And let's get some intelligent people in a room talking about it, even if they are attorneys. But at least the attorneys will call on, you know, special experts to come in and speak on it. So uh, to me, it's like all of this stuff that doesn't make sense gets to float around until, you know, it's until it's time to actually go to court and then the truth comes out. Yeah. So speaking of courts, we talked about Celsius has over the past few weeks been selling some or unstaking some of their Ethereum. They have announced that they're planning to repay $3 billion dollars to their creditors, which is exciting since I'm one of those, <laughs> <laughs> hoping to start to see some of that here shortly. But that is apparently happening very, very soon. Their mining company, which they're going to call Ionic Digital, is going to be starting here pretty soon, which or if it probably already has started, but it's going to be managed by the HUD-8 mining group. So that will be another source of income for them. And I think one of the ways that they are providing money back to those creditors in the form of shares in that mining company too. That's something but better than, better than that. Yeah. yeah. An IOU, right? <laughs> so it's, it reminds me of the whole dumb and dumber. Oh, that's a good one. Hold on to that one. <laughs> yeah. Binance was in the news here recently too. They're refuting that they were hacked. Apparently on the, the dark web, there was a bunch of, 
user data that was proved that was out there and when people i think did look at it it looked like it was test data from many many years ago and that it had nothing to do with actual users but it was one of those things that um it was posted on github and finance asked them to take it down just from an ip confidentiality perspective so that did come down binance didn't pay any money but it just kind of goes to show that if you do have passwords for any of this stuff make sure it is a one-off for each thing that you do ideally moving things off of central exchanges and putting them into cold wallets is what you need to do and it's these days that's more important than than ever and trying to understand how to do that is probably something you need to start looking at sooner rather than later. Yes. The the security piece to all of this is probably the one of the key things to adoption. And these stories hurt, you know. And maybe it helps the ETFs get more uh, get more assets under management because people trust those big investment houses, but this is the, the piece that the Binance and Coinbase and all of the crypto native new names to people that aren't plugged into this stuff yet. This is the stuff that they're going to have to overcome. Yeah. So moving on, we don't need to, to badger that one at all. The Bitcoin power law. I don't know if you've seen this new metric that everybody's been looking at. The whole concept of this is tracking Bitcoin over a log log scale. And it has followed in this power law pretty well so far and you it's a mathematical equation you can plug in kind of the block day and it'll create what the power law should be in that general realm today it says bitcoin should be around $64,000 i think 64,564 to be exact which it's got a possibility of getting there here somewhat shortly it talks about the the next peak that we should see is in January of 2026 that's I think just over around $210,000. And then it's expecting it to come crashing back down to about 60K after that. So interesting to know. I mean, that like I said, it's not exactly accurate, but I mean, as a trend, it has been somewhat accurate. And I think that's kind of been what we've been talking about for a while is expect Q4 of 2025 to be around the peak and then it should come back down unless macro forces change that completely. So that's what I was going to say is, yep. As long as the previous patterns hold that you can model things forward. But <laughs> if giant sums of money flow in that don't flow out, it, it doesn't matter what these traders do, that they're not going to move the market as much as they did in the past. So I, I mean, I, I watched a plan B video and, you know, his stuff is of the same pattern. You know, RSI goes up as we, you know, six months after the halving and price follows. And I mean, all the same stuff. It's like, as long as the pattern holds, then we're good. But if the pattern doesn't hold and money pours in from Saudi Arabia and never pulls out, the pattern may continue, but it's going to be phased up on the Y axis and the price jump isn't going to, isn't going to retract or not retract as much. So uh, I, I was just looking at it straight up 200, 200 week moving average is like 31,000. 
which it rarely drops below the 200 week moving average. It did in this previous cycle and, you know, under 25 or so. And then it did on the COVID crash of 2020. But for the most part, it stays above it. Right now it's at 31,000. Our price is at 42, 43,000. So it's not a bad spot to, to consider as a, a, a region to buy. And especially if, you know, if you think like I think, and you got all of these tailwinds for price coming up. I mean, if, if we get a price dump because of this Genesis bankruptcy and selling GBTC that then hits the Bitcoin market, I, I mean, you might not see a better buying spot, you know, again, it's, if the ETF is a ratchet strap and every time another investment house allows people to invest in it, it clicks. And it just it just only tightens, and that's the same with these DCA guys that are they're holding for a long time. I mean, I put Roth money and IRA money into Bitcoin in the last week or two. So that's guess what what's not happening there for twenty plus years, right? There's Bitcoin that's never coming, never going to be seen again. So you know, to me, it's it does work. Those the cycle until the cycles break, the cycles don't break. Right. You're kind of dumb to think it's it's different this time. But I, I just caution because like those models, the models are models. They're all wrong, but maybe they're useful. But to me, I think it's just uh, like everything in the past. It goes up and then it usually falls back down to close to where the last peak was. Right. So having that model, say, 60K, the last peak being 69K, that's kind of in the central general ballpark. We're in the low 40s. Right. So the opportunity to be in at 40 something K where we're probably not going to see that almost ever again as soon as it jumps up. And when will it jump up? I don't, no one knows. Right. Could it go down? Yes. But I mean, overall, you're still probably in one of the best opportunities that we're ever going to see moving forward from here. Yeah. I mean, this this is like, uh, you know, when, when we had eight to ten thousand dollar Bitcoin. And you're not going to see that anymore. So, you know, every cycle, every cycle goes up and comes back down, but it never comes all the way back down. So that's why it's always like when Bitcoin's boring, it's a good time to buy. And it's a good, if you're never gotten into it, it's a good time to start. Very true. So another thing that just happened in the past week, and I know he's one of your favorite people in the world, Vitalik just turned 30, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. <laughs> He's so old. So, I I know, I and, and I know he's probably not the best face of Ethereum. But I was reading an article that kind of talked about thirty facts about Vitalik. And I mean, since we don't really have a face for Satoshi Nakamoto, he unfortunately has become one of the bigger names in crypto just because of what's happening at Ethereum. And if you look at what the whole crypto mantra is of being decentralized and trying to make the world a better place. He, he actually is pretty good from that perspective, right? So he's not trying to tear anybody down. He's constantly trying to give away his money and his time. Every time someone gives him tokens, he usually donates them to somebody else, right? So it, it's cool to see that. I mean, even his parents, they both work in the crypto space. When I'm, I think his mom is even working on like a layer two for Ethereum right now. So it's 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 nice to see somebody that is decent in this space, unlike 
guys like Craig Wright who are saying they're Satoshi Nakamoto and he can't actually prove it. And now he's suing everybody to pay for his legal fees and telling them that he'll pay for them as long as they say that he's Satoshi Nakamoto. Like it, it's just people like that. It sucks. Right. And then you have Vitalik who's probably not the best in front of an, an audience, but what he's trying to accomplish from a crypto perspective has, has, is garnering a lot of respect. No, it's, it's fine. I just, every time I see him talk, it makes me want to sell my Ethereum. He might be the most fragile, cool he might be the most fragile 30 year old I've, I've seen. I, I, th I think one of the good things, and I, I don't think there's enough people that are like this, is that he's not afraid to change his perspective and admit that he was wrong. Right. And there's not many people almost in this world that are willing to kind of go back to something they said and say, oh, sorry, I was wrong. <laughs> this is really the, the new case here. Right. So that to me, that just it garnered a lot of respect. Like I said, I, I don't think he's really the person you want up on the stage giving a rah-rah speech because he's hard to listen to and all that kind of stuff. But from a, what he's trying to do, and if you actually look at it, he was one of the original founders of Bitcoin Magazine back when he first got into this and probably one of the biggest writers for Bitcoin Magazine for quite a while. And, and a lot of what he proposed in Bitcoin Magazine is things that are still being talked about trying to be done on Bitcoin today with some of the, the smart contracts and things like that. And that's the reason that he went on and did Ethereum. So super smart guy, just not the face of the company that usually you want. Yeah. <laughs> Ethically, I think it's great though. All right. So. Yeah. No, I, so he, I, I don't, the reason that I don't like him and Ethereum, it makes me nervous that he's in at the, at the head of Ethereum. It's not because of who he is, like his integrity, but you know, he just doesn't, he doesn't seem like a guy that can hold up to to a lot of pressure, you know. And when you look at risk, if he gets if Ethereum goes so big that there's a ton of money, like he's going to feel a lot of pressure to make changes that benefit people that are pressuring him to make those changes. So I, I I'm not I don't know we don't need to talk about this too much because it's not like I'm this big Ethereum holder and it matters, but it's 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 good that he is who he is. But if you know if he gets in a car wreck and and isn't around anymore, you know, Ethereum's got to figure out what they're going to do. Yeah. Well, time will tell for sure. I mean, I think there's, it's a lot, Ethereum's a lot more than just him for sure. I mean, he, he does have some great ideas, but then again, his big push is make everything decentralized and have the community, community vote. So even if he has an idea, he's not forcing the idea on the community. Right. And, and even one of the things they talked about was how when Solana had, their issues um, after the whole FTX thing, he pretty much came out and instead of trashing Solana said, Hey, I've, I've heard there's a lot of great developers out there and I hope that they're able to find a way through this and kind of come out the other side. And so it's, to me, it's just cool to see somebody that's trying to build up the entire ecosystem and not just trying to trash everybody that is up against him. Theoretically. Yeah. You mentioned Solana. I, I got to talk about it crashing again this morning. Like we talked about it, like Solana had all this momentum. I think it was like up to number three. It's in the top five for market cap. Like it, people are building on it and using it and it hasn't crashed in years or whatever. And then straight up Coinbase sent me an email yesterday. We're liquidating BSV, uh, Bitcoin Satoshi's vision. That was like a fork off of Bitcoin. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll log in, see what that was worth. It's like a hundred bucks. 
I'm like, okay, well, whatever. I'll just convert it into Solana. 24 hours later, Solana crashes. Like, I'm the kiss of death for a lot of this stuff. Maybe that's why I like Bitcoin so much is because I like I don't think I can kill it with my bad luck. So, but uh, Solana is not that lucky, man. I think within 24 hours of me putting 100 bucks into it, it crashed. Oh, I think it's now what gone down 11 times in the past two years or something like oh, that. Oh, is it that, so, is yeah, it that many? I haven't, I haven't heard of that that often. What? Maybe because the price was low, nobody talked about it. Yeah, I mean, it, now those outages, I don't think for very long, right? But it's still been one of those things where they struggle. And what's crazy is they just had that Juniper launch on Solana that increased their activity like crazy and, and everything was great. But it just, beware, sometimes it goes down. So it's it's still young, it's still learning, it's got a lot of momentum for sure, but there's a lot of people that are not going to put their most important assets on Solana because of this, right? So in terms of using it as a payment network because it's cheap and fast, that's great, right? But tokenizing real-world assets and putting those on Solana right now is a little yeah, scary. Not, not going to happen. But... Yeah, I mean, hopefully it gets better, right? I mean, it's it's still not bad, right? But it is definitely not the one that I choose to support, although I do have some soul <laughs> and I want it to go up. I'm just kind of waiting and seeing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it'd be curious to see kind of the Ethereum versus Solana battle as people build on one or the other and there's new people that are brought in, like if we do hit a bull market and people start building in a big way on and try to pick which one to use or drop some of the smaller crypto blockchains that they're building on for something bigger and more stable. Do they pick cheaper Solana that sometimes crashes or do they pick more expensive Ethereum that seems to not have that problem? So I don't know. It's way outside of my lane. To me, it's, yeah, to me, it's everybody's, creating these EVM compatible blockchains to where they can tie into Ethereum. And I think that's where the future needs to go is just the ability for all these chains to talk to each other. Cosmos and Polkadot have done a really good job of trying to tie a lot of these chains together. If we can do that from some of the major L1s, then that would be really intriguing. Ethereum has done that with their ERC token, right? So because you're in that ecosystem, it's super easy to stay in that ecosystem. If they can figure out a way to kind of bridge Solana and Ethereum easily and safely, that would be, I think, great because then you can use kind of each chain as for its best use case. But we're still figuring out which use case is the best for yeah. each one. Perfect. Well, anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, let me let me just run down a couple of things. One, you mentioned Craig Wright, who's currently in a in a lawsuit with the Crypto Open Patent Alliance in the UK High Court. I don't want to talk about this guy much because I think it's just a dead issue. Basically, for anybody who's not paying attention, he's been claiming he's Satoshi Satoshi Nakamoto forever, and has been suing people and getting sued and all this. He can't prove it. Right. I mean, all he'd have to do is just transfer a couple sats out of a, the Genesis wallet and it would be fine. So we can't do it. He keeps creating and providing fraudulent documentation for himself. So, again, I mentioned earlier, like the courts seem to be the bedrock. Like this guy can can throw as much BS around as he wants when he, he sits in front of an, a judge and attorneys are kicking around real things. I think the truth comes out. So hopefully that just goes goes away completely. 
this was a bigger story in like 2017 and 18. And so hopefully that's gone. So I don't want to talk about that anymore. Uh, what I, what I did want to talk about is Jerome Powell on 60 minutes. The fed chair on 60 minutes is something that doesn't happen very often, but it, for him. So I listened to the whole segment. He was pretty critical of everything. You know, it's not like, Oh yeah, everything's under control. Everything's fine. I mean, he, he said that we're on an unsustainable fiscal path. So basically taking a shot at Congress of saying, Hey, quit spending all this money and making me figure out how to deal with it and how like the treasurer's got to deal with it. And then I got to deal with the interest rates. Like, with this, we can't keep doing this. You know, we're 34 trillion in debt and rising and the debt's growing faster than the economy. So you're borrowing money and it's not even, you're not even leveraged on that money in, in the economy. So stop borrowing. It's, you're only digging yourself a bigger hole. And, you know, he knows that the interest rates up, the, the interest expenses way up over a trillion. And so interest rates have to come down. So he did mention rates will be coming down maybe later in the year. I think people, I think it's pushed out from March to May. Uh, and so that's moving on. But one thing that he did mention was the regional banks. And and he's like, oh, you know, it's pretty good, this and that. He's like, eh, some of them will fail. <laughs> like, what? That nobody else is really talking about that little component of the, of the interview where you basically, if some banks are going to fail, you know that he's like, hey, Bank of America, hey, Wells Fargo, you guys split up these banks that are going to fail. Like, the math is going to tell you which ones are going under. So he's just going to feed those banks to the whales. And I like, that's super sketchy to me. Uh, but I, whatever it is, what it is like commercial real estate's in trouble. Regional banks hold those paper or holds most of that paper. And so it's not great, but for him to go out there and say it in front of on a TV show that old people watch is pretty remarkable. So we'll see how that goes, but you know, printing money, is basically going to have to happen. You know, if, if banks start to fail, they don't just let them fail. Right? They, they create a new program out of, out of whole cloth and start throwing money at them. And so maybe they'll let some smaller ones fail like they did in March as like a warning sign to, to the market. But I, I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to have a giant bank failure fiasco on this guy's watch. Well, we talked about it. I think last month there was a couple of bank programs that are, expiring yep. in March. So there's even kind of another data point now that be very careful about March. There could be a lot of fireworks happening, especially on the bank side of things. It'll be scary. Yeah. To watch. I mean, and China's economy's cracking and their stock market crashed like 30% in a day. And they were limit down on several double digit percentage of their stocks had to halt trading and Evergrande collapse is starting to really impact things. So guess what China's going to do? They're going to print money. <laughs> so, you know, that's, guess where some of that money's going to go. And it's just, this is, it's crazy for me to be this positive about Bitcoin. And we've talked about this many headwinds for Bitcoin price. So, you know, just, yeah. I, I think we just crab walk here for a while. Like we got a lot of positives in the medium and long term, and a lot of negatives in the short term. So, you know, we could we could see a buying opportunity coming up. Also, if somebody somebody's sovereign wealth fund or some companies decide to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet, then we may go up and never come back down. So, like, who knows? Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of election stuff coming up, not in just in the U.S. but all over the world, right? So, there's a lot of things are going to change here in the next six to twelve months for sure that are going to be 
<laughs> interesting to watch. So grab your popcorn, enjoy, and hopefully we come out on the other side unscathed. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's going to be a boring 18 months at all. Awesome. Well, Hal, as always, great catching up with you and looking forward to catching Sounds up Sounds good. Again. Thanks, Jason. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.